I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice Podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the Farms Vice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Vice and let's get into this episode. Welcome back to the GPA and Farms Advice Partnership, where we bring you the stories about what's really driving Australian grain growers across the country. Today on the show, we have GPA's Northern Region Director, Matthew Madden. Matthew is an experienced and passionate grain grower from east of Moree, New South Wales, some of the country's best soils, and I'll let him tell you that. He produces a variety of dryland crops, including wheat, barley, chickpeas, and sorghum. After graduating Orange Agriculture College back in the day, gaining an associate diploma in farm management, he has spent 37 working years managing and running his own farm business. So he has a lot to say in this episode, and I really got a lot out of his conversation and what sort of tips he has from that experience with his employees but also with his advocacy in a numerous amount of roles across the years so make sure you tune in for this episode so Matthew welcome to the Farms Vice podcast great to have you here today and on behalf of GPA and myself thanks for coming on pretty grateful to have people like yourself taking the time out of your day to come on and share some Farms Advice with us just before we get started and down to agribusiness, as I say, tell us a little bit about your background and where you've come from. Yeah, sort of background. Look, I'm what are I now, 60 odd years old now, and um, I've been a farmer actually all my life. I grew up around about 80 kilometres north of Moree, yeah. and my parents were both, both came from farming families. So I won't say I got into my blood, but it's um, 
it became a passion of mine very early. Uh, I've got three sisters and two brothers, so there was a bit of the fine old time growing up in the basically in the bush, as you'd say. And you know, we went off to the local bush school, went off to university, boarding school, and university. But um, you know, I, I started doing a law degree and. I just realised very early that that wasn't for me. My bro- both my brothers were doing law, my three sisters were at university, yep. and I just realised that that was not going to be the life that I really wanted to lead. So I bailed out of university and went to Ag College at Orange Ag the, in its heyday back in the early 80s. And, um, you know, decided that I wanted to be a farmer and the best way to, to be, a, one of the best ways to be a farmer is go and learn or get, get if my parents were, that interested in ag, ag education and I want to be a farmer, I'll get, I'll get myself a degree in farm management to come back, you know, if I was able to come back to run, help run the farm with, with that degree. Um, and that's what I did. So, you know, that was back in that 83 that I left Ag College and I was in 82 and I was married in 83. So I was married quite young, started our family very early and really got stuck into, stuck into the business. And, um, have enjoyed it every every moment of it. It's um, droughts, floods, good times, bad times. But it's what what I signed up for. And I always tell people that what I do, I do what I do by choice. Yeah. So I mean, I had to do something else, and I wanted to be a farmer, and and no no gripes or no complaints about how it turned out. So, and you know, 40, 40 odd years later, I'm still farming. But um, part of you know and. I was probably doing what most other farms were doing, just raising the family, trying to expand the business, which we did to some degree um, throughout those years, and to be a better farmer or more successful, however, you, what metric you want to use that as, as success. But anyway, we were, I was doing what I thought a reasonably good job through the droughts and floods and whatever else nature threw at us. But uh, the question, for his years, how did I get involved in in uh, advocacy? Uh, it actually involved, it came about when I had a farm accident in 2009. I got my leg caught in an auger. And um, I would say nearly died, but pretty close anyway. I was airlifted to Sydney in intensive care. Didn't lose my leg, but all but. So not didn't really work for 12 months and didn't really even work physically for another couple of years after that. Then. I took a job in town at the agribusiness, so I got understanding of farming from a different farm business, agribusiness from a different perspective. This company was um, exporting wheat to Asia, involved in wheat wheat breeding. Um, uh, you know, I had to actually you know, classify, get a wheat classified, get a PBR on a wheat, just from a very small company, and yeah. from a from a back from a back only from farming. So that sort of um, really up my eyes. I did have to four years when, when my son had come home and he was young then um, I sort of thought I'd run the course there and then we decided, then I came back back onto the farm to help drive the business here. But during that time, that's when I got involved in New South Wales Farmers and on, got joined the Grains Committee of New South Wales Farmers in 20, only 2015, 2016, and then... I was chair in 2017, and then that, that I progressed through there. And uh, being chair, 
really opened my eyes up to the extent of advocacy throughout Australia and, and what the represent, representatives of the other state farming organisations and what people are actually doing for what my industry, you know, our industry, but it was really my industry as well. So to meeting these, meeting these people, you know, the passion that they've got there, the experience, I thought it really started to rub off on me. I thought these guys have put so much work into this. I'd really like to be a part of this and see if I can add some value. And that's what drove me to you know, put, my, put myself forward to be elected to, to different bodies. And um, it, it culminated in, in being elected a director of GPA last, last, at the last AGM. And uh, a role that I am you know, really do feel, I, I, hope, oh, I really hope I can add some value because represent, representatives of our industry uh, we've got to um, uh, try and try and drive drive the interests of our of grain growers forward. You know, the interests. Yep. Don't yeah. know who's if we don't. Nobody's going to look after us unless we put put ourselves forward. To yeah, no, you you really got you put your own hand in there and as well. But like you jumping on a board has probably helped out your own farming enterprise and going through those forty years of peaks and troughs. From your farming, from your ag business management course at Orange Ag, you've seen and applied yourself, your experiences to and to the broader community of what not just your region of where you grew up, where you are now in Maury, um, and applying that right across the board rather than just what you're doing. Like similar to what the podcast is achieving as well, as well as what these boards are for the greater community, I think. Without a doubt, and it's, it 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 really does highlight that you know farms across Australia. We we farm in different areas, but we all face similar similar challenges. Yep. You know, from Western Australia to New South Wales into Victoria, um, and on a you know on a mo- micro level, we've got our own different different ways we do things, different methods, different farming systems. When we get to the macro level, our, our Challenges are the same. It's logistics, it's inputs, it's supply chains. Um, another, you know, very important one from GPA is biosecurity. It's, um, you know, somebody's got to get the, have the grassroots input to ensure that those policies are in place to, to look after agriculture in Australia. And that's why I'm really find that, um, you know, if we don't do it, no one else is going to do it for us. Uh, yeah. We... Um, I'll strive, strive to do, you know, put, put the time and effort in because remember, I'm a farmer, my business is a farm, my friends are farmers, so it's a it's a win-win, for, hopefully a win-win for everybody. Yeah, definitely, and you've got some skin in the game as well as a farmer. But as farmers, mostly listening to this podcast, let's go into your operation and see what your season's looking up to. Have you started planning the crop already, getting it in? Uh, no, well, we're in the middle of, middle of April now. Look. Things look pretty, uh, from a moisture perspective, we're, we are chock a block. Yep. It's, uh, we haven't planning yet. We're thinking of starting next week. We'd like to start around about Anzac Day. Um, but there are a few people having a go at some early weeks in the district. Um, canola's not a big crop around in the north, where I'm, north, northwest New South Wales. But there's certainly you know, great interest in it this year. Some guys who put it in last year had an absolute crack. Uh, good prices, good yields, but everything, most things are good last year except for chickpeas. Um, 
we farm 4,000 acres just east of Moree and it's a reasonably um, uh, simple rotation. Wheat, barley, chickpeas and summer crops, we have sorghum and cotton, dryland cotton. We have grown it in the past. We've just up opted for sorghum this year and uh, might rue that decision. Cotton, dryland cotton is... Uh, uh, the yields are terrific and the prices are unbelievable. However, it's um, you know we'll stick to our knitting and um, we'll consider it in the future as well. It's just we had a made a decision and we had a great summer crop that saw cotton would have been better. Um, yeah, so we're probably going more wheat this year. We were half our crop last year was chickpeas, half our winter crop area. So we put that all back into wheat, a little bit of barley and a few more chickpeas. Chick Unfortunately, chickpeas is about the only non-bright bright light in the um, uh, in the ag horizon. It's uh, the punishing tariffs in India at eighty percent, which didn't get changed with the free trade agreement, which caused a bit of disappointment for for pop chickpea growers and you know in particular and pulse growers in general. But um, but the this look the seasons grow great. Um, you know it's almost shaping up to be three in a row. Yeah, and I'd say unheard of, but um, been a long time coming. Inputs, we'll, we're all very mindful that um, our prices might have gone up, our prices for our commodities might have gone up 50 to 100, canola 100 doubled, but wheat's kind of gone up 50%. But our inputs, you know, in some case, your fertiliser, you know, your rare treble, starter fertilisers have doubled, <laughs> and some of our... Um, uh, herbicides certainly gone up, round up, and, so, and some of the others, but they will pencil out on, on using an Excel spreadsheet. They'll pencil out all right if, if the increase in prices. It'll just increase our risk. So once again, we'll be mindful that yep, the prices are great. Inputs have gone up. We've got moisture. Once again, we'll probably have to ensure that you know we give ourselves the best potential to get to get the big yields as we did last year, because that was a really surprising outcome. Not so much last year, the year before, the twenty coming out of the twenty nineteen drought, farmers you know, had been pretty well stretched for three years during that drought. But still, a lot of people gave themselves the best chance when when the season did break in twenty twenty. And twenty twenty was a record wheat crop in New South Wales, thirteen point four million tons. Nobody thought they could. And I think it's probably gone around it last year, but the numbers aren't in. But people spent the money. Gave themselves the best potential, and Mother Nature did the rest. But and I think that those lessons will will be learnt and learnt. And even this year with high inputs, the prices are right, the moisture's there. You've just got to uh, give yourself the best opportunity to reap, reap those rewards. Yeah, of course. And and I, th maybe. I think farmers are putting every square inch of crop in that they possibly can for 2022. Um, but like an interesting thing I saw on Twitter earlier today was how far out should you be purchasing to limit your risk of inputs? Like how, how far out do you do for your own farm? Because this farmer was like 12 to 18 months out. I don't like, is that doable across the board? That seems a fair way out. Fertilizers, fertilizers, uh, urea is a tricky one. I know people were trying to buy fertilizer last year. You know, when I was going nine fifty to a thousand dollars, the issue then was you had to take delivery, so you couldn't actually price it 
unless you took delivery. Now, yep. the, unfortunately, I don't have mechanisms to to um, sort of forward the price unless you actually just walk in and buy it. Yep. That, that happened in the early days. Um, it, it wasn't price protection. That, that was physically people wanted to have it in their shed in case of supply chain issues. When we, when we Which we did, did see people say, well, we just can't get the stuff in from China. We just can't get those products we need in a timely fashion, parts, machinery, fuel. So people were stocking up. And it's, that narrative has probably changed a little bit now with, well, nobody wants to buy your at $1,900. Um, but, uh, you know, not, but we should have bought it at 1100 or 1200 if we had somewhere to put it. But, um, and I suppose people didn't, people knew the price was going up, but then the Ukrainian situation, well, it's pushed, a pushed week, but the gas prices pushed your rate. So that was probably something that may not have been able to be foreseen with any great certainty. Um, yeah, so the pro, yeah, really the price mechanisms for buying, they are available, but really you just have to walk in, in some cases, walk into the checkbook and buy it. Yeah. Um, and now it's a 12, I'll, I'll say use Roundup as an example. With every, most people use Roundup. I think it was $9.60, but it's been up to 12 but it was five. So where's a good price point to, to, to suggest I should be getting a lot of stock in on hand, a bit like the fuel. So, um, but if people want to have it, and I think that's a, not so much for taxation reasons, but just physically yep. having that com- inputs on hand when they, when they need them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if you've got the facilities, it's a good idea, um, but whether or not it, Fits your own circumstances as a grain farmer um, is another story as well. Oh, t- I, look, I, t- I certainly agree. It's um, you might get it right, but you might get it wrong. I mean, we didn't we didn't forward buy, but I know we were advised to buy around up last year six and seven dollars. We bought a little bit um, to take advantage of that because at least there was a price signal. Coming, that it's going up. Yeah, the urea price was more difficult, but, and that's been used up. And, I mean, we've uh, yeah, we've been purchased. We purchased a, a weaner, so we're actually using a little bit less chemical. Um, you know, we're using less volume of chemical by nearly eighty percent. Yeah, some of those prices pricing we've been shielded to some degree. Yeah, yeah. The quantum of that chemical we're using, but it's still. We're, we're down now to back, back to blanket spraying, so pre, pre-winter crop planting. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, very mindful of making sure that every, every litre you buy is doing the right job. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. But the reward on the other end with the higher prices for commodities at the moment is really good. But what I want to talk about with you is like three things that you've you see as the larger issues within your advocacy roles with Grain Producers Australia and like what what are farmers feeling at the moment when you speak to the board? The um, the supply chain issues. Now, yep. GPA really for the uh, review into the grain industry. But nothing's really been, hasn't, since deregulation, 2008, 
it really hasn't been a, a really good look under the bonnet of, of, of how it is working. How is the free market working for, for the industry and also for, for growers in particular? Because we're getting a lot of noise and a lot of questioning about why is the futures prices for grain somewhat a lot higher than what we're seeing our cash price in Australia? Now, there's, some of those questions are easy to some of them are. So we, we, were, we would actually look like the ACCC to come in and have a really good look, get under the bonnet and um, yeah, with, their, with their powers, they can actually compel people to answer their questions. So if there's nothing, say, one time, if there's nothing to hide, there's nothing to worry about. But it will answer those questions on both sides. And is there some, something that government can play a part in to uh, uh, understand some of the constraints of supply chain issues to make it more competitive and competitive, I mean, also known as driving the price down of cost, which will be, increase our returns. If we can get it to market a lot quicker or cheaper, that's an immediate return to, far, to, to, the, to the farmer at, the, at their farm gate. And that's, that's the important thing, absolutely. It's, and to, we just need to understand, if we need to go to government with a policy saying, if you spend X, that $2 billion that appears to be not getting the growers' pockets, we might, you know, for a little spend, we might be able to put that money back into Australian pockets because we can't get the grain out of Australia fast enough in the first six months of the marketing year or it's taking too long. To, we are not unable to take advantage of high prices overseas because we've got supply chain constraints. Yeah. I mean, you just can't book a train or a boat or even almost a, a, a truck to get it to get the port at the moment to about August, September, which is good problems to have. But if we had better supply chain, we might be able to move a little bit quick, more quickly to take advantage of that. And that's a really big push at the moment from GPA and um, to, to get a really good understanding back to our growth members. Um, biosecurity. Uh, yeah, sorry. big one. Let's just quickly hear from the CEO of GPA Australia and then we'll get back into the episode. I'm Colin Beddles. I'm the Chief Executive of Grain Producers Australia and we're pleased to be working and partnering with Jack Creswell and the Farms Advice podcast Grain Producers Australia represents Australian grain farmers and we work to deliver a more profitable and sustainable industry and getting the message out about what we actually do for growers through the Farms Advice podcast we think is a great way, probably mostly because Jack himself is also a farmer and he's speaking to other farmers with what he's doing with Farms Advice podcast. We think it's a great initiative, so whether you're sitting back in your header or if you're driving in the car from from one town to another and you're listening to the Farms Advice podcast and you like the work that GPA does, then feel free to get in and support us and support Jack and together we can help make our industry stronger and more profitable and sustainable. Now, let's get back into it. Biosecurity, it's, you know, you, you, it's not a matter of just banging on, it's just a matter of making people really understand. I mean, there was a capra beetle incursion into New South Wales I mean. People, a lot of people know the cap, grain growers, well, they don't even know or understand what capra beetle is, but, and it's a very minute little bug that could cause $17 billion of damage to the Australian 
grains industry over 15 years, then you would take notice. Pretty terrifying. Oh, it's, it would just shut us out of um, the export markets overnight. And it, was, it wasn't just luck that um, this capital metal was detected, and uh, it was a, but it was some of the things that framework had been put into place to make sure it didn't spread. Yep. And that's where the resource important. That was detected, fortunately, found very quick, came in on containers in uh, fridges, in, no, sorry, uh, into good guys in, yeah, fridges or stoves in white goods. Not even in not not, not even in a agricultural products or produce. And that's why you know, we've been calling for a container levy, just to you know, five, ten dollars a container to just to make sure there's enough resources at the at the border to yeah. make sure not just everything, because it could destroy Australian agriculture pretty quickly. I mean, that's just a grain. We've got foot and mouth. We've got a Japanese encephalitis, um, fall armyworm. All the, you know, there's a range of biosecurity uh, issues that need the resourcing to ensure that they don't spread if they get here. Best that we don't keep them out, but if they do get in here, we need the resources to contain them. To, you know, we need our... Um, we need, you know, trade. It's a trade market access issue. If we've got it, nobody else will be constrained where we can sell that product. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, um, speaking with Barry Large on the previous episode about how wide it can spread the impact of what the capra beetle was, it came in on fridges going to the good guys or something like that. Just like how much um, accountability right across the industry people need, and maybe that. $10 per container can make that viable option to like continue searching through these containers to make sure we get on top of everything. But like for these biosecurity risks, what are farmers able to do on the ground to ensure that they're not under threat by these? Uh, it's because biosecurity, I mean, be very, very vigilant about what comes on your farm. I mean, they're the overseas, overseas pests, but we've got you know, domestic domestic problems as well. So any anything that strange weeds, yep. you know, it just and their advisors and agros, anything that looks odd, it really should be investigated because it, it's not just might, might not not be you that has the problem because if you let it go undetected and pretend that you know, if I don't see it, it'll go away suddenly not just your farm, your district farm, Australian industry. So vigilance is, is the key. I mean, mice are, uh, you know, they're a biosecurity threat as well. I mean, that's one of my domestic issue uh, that, you know, we, if, if you don't look after your mice, your neighbour's going to have them or your neighbor, you're going to have them. So it's really a combined effort and a collaborative effort to ensure that biosecurity is, is not just confined to you or state borders. It's... It's a really important that everybody plays their part. And um, don't be frightened of, if you've got something, don't be frightened to report it. It might be very scary, but it'd be better, better, better that it's done now than have it spread and shut down, you know, shut down whole industries. So we've, I'm you know, pretty passionate about that. Just, you know, be, a, be a biosecurity warrior and um, do your bit to ensure that you protect yourself and your industry. Yeah, I think you need to uh, on the head pretty quick um, just to 
uh, get your property, make sure, ensure everything and reduce the risk as a farmer. Um, and then the impact of what you said, it was it 17 billion the capra beetle could take away from ag? Australian grains, just, no, that's just the Australian grains industry. Yeah. Um, we lost our lost export, export markets. It's, it's, as one of the, a grain industry leaders said to me, he said it's potentially the biggest risk he's faced in 17 years in, in his grain leadership to give some perspective of, of the importance of it. So it's, it's really, you know, really highlighted uh, to me the importance of um, biosecurity. And um, it's interesting that you know, COVID is a biosecurity risk. So it shouldn't be hard to explain to the general public about biosecurity. You think of the disruptions that COVID have caused you, your family, the world. It's a biosecurity issue. It's the same as what can happen on farms. Now, and now that you know, traveling's back on, so we've got to be a heightened alert again about biosecurity. I mean, we've certainly got agricultural trade. Hasn't, hasn't really stopped, but now we've got people trade, people movements sort of ramping up again. So we don't want um, the resources we had on at, at the borders, you know, it, it needs to be it's probably trebled now because still look after the, the um, produce side, whether the ag or implements or whatever, trade trade goods, but people goods as well. That yeah. They're one of the, a lot of stuff, a lot of things have come in through passenger arrivals. So we've got to be absolutely vigilant and keep hammering the government for those resources to ensure that, unfortunately, money talks and money and resources and people on the ground just to ensure that we just do whatever we can to keep them out. Absolutely. If you throw that figure around of 17 billion, I think it might get a few people moving around a bit quicker. I mean, but even foot and mouth disease, we got it in here. You know, imagine what it'll do to the, the animal industry. And FMD would, act, would actually um, curtail grain exports. So it's, it's all inter intertwined and interconnected. So, so it's, uh, it's a, you know, Australia's got a clean and green image and we want to keep it that way. But yes. it's going to take us banging on about it and we'll continue to bang on about it because that's the importance of it. That's it. And as farmers, I think we need to bang on about what issues we're coming up with and the support that we need from government bodies to enhance and improve our outlook. But for for the three issues, you've rattled off supply chains, biosecurity as one of the biggest ones. What's the third one on the top of your mind? Um, we've got probably grains, but what the labour issue now. Yeah, COVID really exposed the vulnerabilities of our of our labour supply chain as well. I mean, the backpackers aren't here. We didn't grind to a halt, but it put a lot of pressure on a lot of people to get friends, you know, family, seventy five year olds to, to fill those gaps. Now, what we need to know is a why can't we get, is there enough people within Australia to do, to do those jobs? Or why can't, why are we not attracting people to agriculture? Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of, couple of um, you know, programs coming in place, it's Ag Start, Ag Assist, NFF, getting school leaders in. There's short numbers, but the Ag visa from 
overseas, but they, they appear to be small numbers. Yep. I mean, there are 145 backpackers in Australia. I mean, and a lot of those were, you know, they're in regional areas. They may not have all been driving tractors or fruit picking, but a lot of them were because they're not here anymore. Um, you know, we've got some, you know, we've been involved in the Australian Defence Force, getting those, some of those semi-retired guys who, who have transferable skills. Now, they're not a long-term solution, but they are a solution for the harvest period and those surge periods that we have, you know, that are akin to not just agriculture, but planting, harvesting. They're the two big areas and fruit, those fruit-picking times, they're, they're, they're time-critical times that you need a lot of people and you don't need a lot of people. So a lot of work's I mean, trying to get in there to understand if we... If we need a lot of people for a short time, who are those people? And there's the green nomads, there's students, there's um, defense, retired defence force, and there's backpackers. That's what we've used them to fill the gap until they weren't here. So yeah. are we back, or do we need to train another cohort to fill those gaps? Or you know, are we going to, you know, a lot of farms, you know, are we going to have to go to somewhere where there's permanent labour so people are going to rearrange how they um, do things on their farm? They just employ more permanent labour and ensure that they've got something for them to do when, when they're not so busy. And, yep, not just something to do that's wrong, but uh, gainfully employ, be a pr productive part of the business. Yeah. So they're the challenges because we've built up a system using um, temp labour. I don't Maybe you have to change the casual labour, temp, temp labour to fill those gaps because that's what worked. You know, is it going to continue to work? Or yeah, maybe well, if the backpackers come, I think that seasonal, seasonal labour is never really going to change of how much we need it within harvest periods and even planting time. Um, in the grains industry and the white industry as well, horticulture is a big one tackling the issue front on as well as grains, but getting the crop in is just as important um, and seeing those roles. I think like there is a lot of long-term roles out there, permanent roles that carry on if you've got the will to go harvesting and even to continue right way through with that farmer, contractor, what it may be, there's possibly going to be a role there for you. But it sounds to me like the Orange Ag College needs to come back it's, um, we were, I was talking about this to somebody else the other day, and there's only one college almost in Australia that's doing farm management, and that's down at Marcus Oldham. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, you know, in the 80s when I went through, there was Marcus was there on JAG, there was Gap doing a little bit of it, Tokal, uh, a couple in Victoria. You know, there were a range, now there's one. And there are different, you know, and I, I'm not discounting the UNE rural science and um, ag economics degrees at Sydney. They, they're, they're very, very important, but not for the farm management side of things. So, you know, if we're going to encourage people to have those skills, um, you know, we need the basis of the education to start with. So here's a pathway. Yeah. You, know, you can go out there with a the farm management degree, you will be able to, um, there's plenty of jobs out there to actually get uh, with, 
with that degree. And um, yeah, so people are using other pathways to, to get to that, man, that managerial positions. So, and that's part of that training well. Um, yeah, I think so. But it, like, if you run through these issues that you've brought up, supply chains, biosecurity and labour, the pandemics sort of super sped those up um, and probably practice for what's coming next to try reinforce and put some processes in place for what this is. Um, have you seen, as an advocate, but also working with GPA, have you seen what processes starting to be put in place with policies to actually solve these issues? Um, certainly, I'll go back to the labour because I just yep. remember the point I was going to be bringing in autonomous, autonomous tractors and autonomous gear is just coming at us a lot faster than I actually thought it would. And it's being exacerbated by the labour issues. I mean, GPO, we've got, our, we've got our autonomous code of conduct to have that policy in place for when we thought they would start bringing in the you know, autonomous track, the old robot tra robotic tractors. Well, they're here now. John Deere will have almost released, I think, have released um, their the latest one, which is basically a driverless tractor. That you can control from the side of the field, and unfortunately, people will. I think this is only an opinion now that people will go there pretty quickly because they can't get the people, can't get the staff when they need it. And I, I thought it'd be bigger, bigger operations or bigger contracts that would yeah, be the first to do it. And I'm now I'm thinking, actually, it might even be medium-sized farms to do it. You know, guys like on our farm, it'll be. If we just had an autonomous tractor going around and around on its own, well, that would free up some of the loaded up to uh, spray in front of it. And when it wasn't working, the tractor goes in the shed. Yeah. So um, I think that's coming coming at us very quickly. And look, that could be that, that's I like progress, but it, it it's almost a detriment to um, regional populations. You know, we we want to give people jobs. They don't want to work till we're getting autonomous track autonomy. Then there's no jobs. Yep. So it's a, a a vicious circle. But um, but the job's got to get done. Yeah, so people go. Producers or business owners will say, "I just we need to get the crop planted um, on time and efficiently as possible." And, um, yeah, so I think there'll be a balance there. So. Uh, and it's, it's not going to overcome the labour issues, but you're still going to need people who understand how to use to to operate it, which are more, it's more of, more of a skilled operation, but you're still going to have the people who are going to have to change the discs and make sure there's seed goes in the ground. And, and the real, the hands-on farming tech knowledge and know-how is still going to be desperately needed. It's AI is coming and remote sensing and it will help, but there's still going to be, you know, that, that need for, for, for people, for farmers, um, whether they be owner-operators or managers or agros, we're going to still need people to ensure that we, we get the productivity continues. Yeah, definitely. And someone, like off the back of it, someone's got to be there to read that data to improve that machinery or improve the way you work your own farm. So a lot of change is coming, and it's coming a lot quicker than anyone sort of anticipated especially as a farmer that's just used to the one-way plough and old traditional um, and coming up with the new fronts of 
autonomous workings, new implements to go along with them as well. But very exciting on the back of it. Uh, it's it's definitely um, coming so much. I mean, I I didn't think I was that old. And I said, someone said to me, "What's the biggest innovation you've seen in your farming life?" I said, "Oh, air conditioned tractor." <laughs> like a bit older than me, he said, "Oh, I like I like rubber tires." <laughs> so, but exponential growth now. You know, GPS. I, when this first came out, I thought, "Oh, you know, it's expensive, and um, do we really need it?" Once we got it, you just never go back. Just for the yeah. Uh, ease of operation and um, the efficiency, just the time saving, uh, resource saving, and that's and that's that was the first. Well, that, that wasn't even data; it was just driving straight. But now we've got the precision ag. Some really exciting um, innovations coming there, and it's just you know it's just going to be. Uh, I sort of still shake my head sometimes. How can it be exponentially gets better? At, better all the time but it just does that's yeah you know, what we thought would be five years away is suddenly next year it's I mean, it, that's back to my point about um the autonomous tractors i mean john deere might be the first but everybody will be right behind them and it, it might i don't even know what the price is but someone will say that's cheap and i'll, I'll have it and, and in a couple of years you know those those days of you know 12 hour shifts on the track there might be just the memory so Sometimes not a fond memory, but um, yeah, they'll, they'll um, somebody will be doing it, doing it for us. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. Farmers, won't it? And we may be just plugging our tractors in, no cab to clean out, running the mud through the cab no more. Um, yeah, no, we don't even what in a few years we don't even know what we'll be running them on. Um, yeah, pretty exciting whether it's going to be hydrogen, electric. Pretty sure it won't. It'll, it'll be decent for a while, but that's it doesn't. That's not the important. What it runs on, it's just how it runs, how efficiently it runs. Yeah. And um, yeah, there'd be some some more opportunities there. Um, so, you know, as long as the power source is is cheap, effective, and reliable, um, we'll we'll ensure we get the uh, ensure we get the crops in. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's always those early adopters the new equipment coming in just to sort of trial it for the industry um, and then you'll see a much roller. If your neighbour has autonomous tractors, you're probably more likely to get them as well. Um, oh, yes, no. And and the reasonings, they're, they're sound reasons in for, for having them. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses anymore. It's a business decision that, that will work and um, no, I'm looking forward because I didn't think I'd see autonomous tractors, probably in my, you know, or robotic tractors in my, for another 10 years, but I, well, they're here now. So it's a, that rate, rate of change is so what's very exciting. And, um, but uh, probably one of the, actually one of the most exciting things about agriculture at the moment from a food producer is um, it's almost provenance and traceability. I know, I know, yeah, the high end, high end um, food producer are talking about it all the time. But when they're talking about it, it feeds through. You know, provenance, traceability, and that's going to feed through to people's understanding of where their food comes from, how it's produced, because they're starting to get really interested now. You know, not just the the niche number of people who are interested, but the broader broader general public are really starting to get interested. And then 
to me, that will filter down to then they'll get an understanding of what it takes to grow that. Then they'll understand what it costs to grow that and what the cost is for them to have relatively cheap food. And they might understand that they've got to pay to ensure they've got safe food available to them and they protect the environment. I mean, we just can't, we can't keep, if they don't like industrial agriculture, then or they, what they deem industrial agriculture, too much synthetic fertiliser chemical. Um, but that's that's giving them relatively cheap food. But if they, if they want something else, that they will probably understand that they might have to pay a bit more for it. And that probably be a, a good thing for farmers, that they will finally, they'll, they'll do the right thing when they're fairly rewarded. So I reckon that, to me, that's one of the most exciting things Besides the actual autonomous tractors, which is pretty cool, but um, the trace, you know, that tra traceability and provenance to make people understand what it takes to actually put the food on their table, you know, you know safe, safe, and you know what we'll consider really um, affordable. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think that's so that's my number. Cool, very cool from both ends, as a consumer and also as a farmer having your product and knowing that the consumers are learning the story of how it was made and how that grain made the bread or the beer that you're drinking at the pub as well. So it's an exciting future for all these things coming up, but also as the industry to improve and all of us start to utilise these new technologies and ways of working. Oh, no, that's exciting. I've loved agriculture for 40 years, but it just gets, it's, Still, still excites me when I get up in the morning. Just see the the now the rapid rate of change. So yep. you get to you get to see it pretty quickly. So for yourself, Matt, what like what makes you so passionate? Forty years down the track from finishing off ag college in '83 to continue like for the younger blokes listening, the grain farming they're looking to buy a farm. What made you so passionate about improving your own farm, but also others out there as well through your advocacy with GPA and others? Um, I suppose it was always a fairly simple one for me because I just wanted to be a farmer. But yeah. um, it, things, nothing's the same. Even, even, you know, for 40 years ago, we were always trying something new. Probably, but things didn't, it wasn't a rapid rate of change like it is today. But, you know, I was there when Roundup or glyphosate first came to Australia. And then see the adoption of zero till. I mean, that took a little while, um, and it changes a little bit more slowly now. Oh, sorry, it's changed slowly, but it still changed, and nothing was the same. Um, so every season, you know, you look at your road for charts. Oh, it looked the same, but it wasn't. So every decision you make affects what you you do six months time. So it really keeps you on your on your, on your toes, and. And just just the challenge of um, not beating Mother Nature, working with Mother Nature, and because um, sometimes you get it when you get it right, it's a no no greater joy. When you get it wrong, well, you know you've just got to shoulder it and uh, understand that it might have been my fault, but it, I, but how can I get better? Or I did everything right, but I'm just going to have to work. You know, Mother Nature 
got me in the end. But I, I'm not beaten. I'm going to do it again next year. I'm going to do it the year after, and I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get better at it. And that's what's really driven me for the last 40 years. Um, just knowing that whatever you did, you could probably do it. You could probably tweak something to make it a bit better next year. So it, it just gets, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, knowing that uh, whatever I do, um, I can probably, on my own farm or on our own farm, we can improve it. We just, we're, we're not at perfection yet. So, and whatever decision we make will affect what, what happens to us. So, you know, keep it, keep, keep it, make sure that uh, we, um, you know, keep working hard out. And on the advocacy side, like I said, um, you know, the people I've met and, you know, just to talk, that have shown their um, passion for it, it really did rub off on me that these guys were out there to make a difference and they really put their heart and soul into it. And it's not, not just not for them, it's for everybody. Yeah. And that's what I'd say to my friends, I'm, I'm not just doing this for me, it's, you're, you're going to benefit as well. And you know, I just like working with the, with the passionate, engaged people. Really, I really enjoy it. And hopefully, hopefully I can add value. That's the other thing. Well, mate, just going by this episode, I think you've added a lot of value that people can take away and go and think about, use it as motivation or even just implement it into their own farm. So really appreciate you coming on today. Before you go, though, what's your one piece of farm's advice for a younger farmer looking to get ahead in the grains industry? Don't be disheartened. It's, um, yeah, there are always opportunities. Uh, I remember talking to a Zimbabwean 25 years ago when land values were $300, which was you know, double the value of what he thought it was. Yeah. Oh, I'll never be able to do that. Always an opportunity, even today. And it, you know, look, just don't have to think outside the square, but you've got to be passionate about what you do and look, just look for opportunities, whether it's you know, engaging you know, uh, with people who, who do have the resources that, that want to get into farming. You might have the know-how, somebody else might have the, the resources. So don't be disheartened. There's always an opportunity if um, you're prepared to put yourself in, in, the, in the path of good luck, but it's you know, through good work, hard work. You may may um, get to uh, realise your your dream. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a great one for the younger farms out there, and I might even take a little bit away of that for myself and our family farm. But for the podcast, who else would you like to hear on here, and why? Um, certainly. Um, I know it's farming. You probably. Maybe from the uh, industry side, so sort of, sort of if there's, uh, we could find uh, some light. I don't know, if, has Andrew Whitelaw been on here? No, I actually contacted him the other day, so I'll have to up him and get him on here. Yeah, I mean, we just get a different perspective. I mean, we always like, you know, at least perspectives and, um, yeah, sorry, I, I probably wasn't over that question. <laughs> but, um, I know. Yes, also- yes, to to ensure that, yeah, we get a balanced view. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, I think that's very important as well as a podcast, but also as the farmer on the other end. And Matt, before you go, where can we contact you? Do you have a Twitter handle? I didn't do my research. 
or but I'll put your GPA profile in. I do. Um, Matthew Madden. I can't remember what it is now, uh, but I do do have one. I'll find it and send it to you. Um, yeah, too easy. I'll be able to find it and I'll put it down in the show notes so everyone can have a look at what's going on in his role at GPA, but also as a farmer doing it, running his own operation up in Moree as well. Beautiful part of the world. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice Podcast. It is produced by Advert Your Eyes Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before and spread the Farms Advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farms Advice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country for Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.